Hi everyone, and welcome to another Bible study here at One Love Live at Love Walk. And I am your host, Lila Winston. I hope you are doing well. I pray that God is blessing in your life, that you're learning more about your purpose, and that you're taking steps toward uh, fulfilling that purpose, um, your dual purpose. Um, and uh, also practically applying uh, the Word of God in your life so that you can live a fulfilling and abundant life. And so uh, today we're going to have a very interesting conversation, I think, about um, some of the things that we have been in the past when we talk about what believers are capable of doing. I think a lot of times we have a lot of believers that are sort of passive in the way in which they approach their um purpose and also the way they approach i think more importantly the practice of their everyday lives and what it is that is available to them and when i say passive i think you know it's important for us to kind of break that down so i don't want you to don't get any thoughts in your mind just so quickly okay it's not what you think but um, we're going to have that discussion but i do want to make a point here before we jump into our bible study that you have a dual purpose okay and when i say a dual purpose i mean there's the purpose that god gives you okay and the second thing there is the purpose of preaching the gospel which is all of our purpose okay we are all entrusted with that vocation we have all been given that at pentecost and so it's important to remember you have a dual purpose. Now, even in the purpose that is specific for you, God may have you doing so many different things. We see Moses wasn't just, you know, a deliverer. He was also a leader. He was also a priest. He he did so many things. So I want you to understand your purpose can be multifaceted. That is specifically for you. And then there's that dual purpose of preaching, which we all share in. And so um, let's go ahead and jump into our anchor text. It's going to be in Luke chapter chapter 20 verse 20 so that's Luke chapter 20 verse 20 and so it's only one verse but I think there's some important information in here and I'll start reading it says and they watched him and sent forth spies which should feign themselves just men that they might take hold of his words that so they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the governor and I'm going to read that one more time because uh, I think we overlook this. Uh, this is really a packed little scripture. Luke verse 20, 20 says, And they watched him and sent forth spies, which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, that so they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the governor and so i want you to understand a lot of times we overlook this point but they said they sent spies okay and that they were watching him spies were watching christ okay spies agents double agents whatever you want to call it were watching christ and this is back in the old days this isn't today this isn't um, modern times where you know we think we've perfected some of these um, intelligence arts this is back in the day when men were still wearing sandals every day (laughs) but i want you to understand and christ he wasn't here he wasn't he didn't come on the scene you know, saying, I'm going to take over the world and, you know, all this kind of thing. But he was speaking some things that was enough to make people, specific people, uncomfortable. And that is what you have to understand. If you're going to be a true believer and stand 10 toes down in the gospel of Christ, then 
there's something that's going to occur that you may not be expecting from just a believer, okay? From just being a regular believer. So it's important to understand that if they're sending out spies to watch Christ, it means this was a big deal. Christ was dealing with spies and agents and provocateurs. And so you have to understand as a Christian, to really live as a Christian is a big deal if you're doing it right. It means you're not going to just be, you know, some person. If you truly live the gospel, you're going to kick up a little dirt somewhere. You're going to kick up a little dust. Maybe I'll put it that way. You're going to kick up a little dust because you're shining light. And the true power in God is going to be able to be a to be conducted through you. And that's really important to understand. Let's look at Luke chapter 20, verse 21 to 23. I think that there's a lot of context even here when we move a little bit further down. It says, and they asked him saying, Master, we know that you say and teach rightly, neither accept, accepts you the person of any, but teaches the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, Why do you tempt me? See, it's important to understand that they sent these spies, they sent these agents, they sent these double agents um, who pretended to just be regular citizens, regular people. They sent them so that they could catch him in something. And the thing about it is, is that Christ knew. He it says he perceived in that verse. He perceived who they were. And a lot of times it doesn't have to be as, you know, deeply intrigued as deep of a level of intrigue as we have here, but it may be in other areas God is going to give you a level of perception when it comes to people to be able to determine um, their intent and sometimes exactly who they are. And this is really important. That's why I say if you're going to be a believer, do it all of the way or just get out of it completely. Because when you do it all of the way, you under you begin to have levels of discernment and understanding that allows you to know things, to understand things. Um, that maybe other people don't. And just like we were having discussions about the clamorous woman, there's actually a Bible study here called A Clamorous Woman. I'm going to link it in the description and I hope you'll check it out. Having the wisdom of God gives you a level of, um, I would say, prescience, a level of understanding, um, a level of uh, discernment that cannot be explained in a worldly kind of way that will allow you to understand and know people's intentions um, without them expressly saying so. And so I think this is really critical that it says that he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, why are you tempting me? He just came out and asked. And in fact, God will give you that prescience, that perception, uh, that inner knowing but he'll also give you how to respond and what to do. And this is the critical part. And that's why the Bible says there's no knowledge or wisdom against the mighty, almighty. And it's true because people forget that there's a larger game being played than just in their little city or in their little fiefdom or in their little club or in their little company or whatever it may be. Um, 
you know, there is God's power and his intent and his will for the world. So the verse says they watched him. I think that's really interesting. And think about the intrigue that men create when they feel their power or their influence is challenged. And I think this is something we have to remember. Little did they know that the power of God was at play and he would move them to undermine their own interests. And that's really how that works. A lot of people don't understand that. But God's power supersedes mankind in such a huge way that he will literally have the people who are seeking to hang on to whatever it is to actually give it up. Not because they willingly want it to, but because God's power is just more powerful. He's just more all-knowing. So there's no way to think against him or to come against him. And so I want you to note that these that that Christ and his work of healing people of um you know doing miracles of preaching the pure word of God this was gaining the notice of those people in power in his day okay so I want you to note that it was not Caesar that was spying okay it was not Caesar because they asked you know who should we pay tribute to Caesar or you know or or God but it was the little men who feared that they would lose their small positions, the men who knew they were not practicing God's real worship. And so even the very rich uh, Sadducee sects were very concerned because they actually selected the high priests, which influenced the people back in those times. So, uh, you know, just a quick bit of history, the Sadducees were kind of like a rich sect of or a powerful sect of the religious order that had been created um, when the Babylonians came in and they started mixing up the worship, the Hebrew worship with, you know, different other kinds of religions and practices. They came up with these guys called the Sadducees, who were the richest priests, as they would say, or the richest religious leaders. And these people would actually be the ones to select the uh, the high priest. Now, think about that. These people are selecting the high priest. So I want you to understand the level of influence that the Sadducee has you know, if they can select the high priest. And so Christ's authority and knowledge, his miracles that he demonstrated, um, it, it, it actually shone a light on the fact that their authority was fake and it was man-made. And I think this is really important to see is that when Christ came on the scene, you have this sort of fake, uh, faux um, Hebrew worship that's going on, that's mixed in with all of these different kinds of religions, um, all, from all of these different kinds of uh, cultures that have come in. The Romans have brought in their polytheism. The, you know, Babylonians have come in with their ideas about Sadducees. I'm sorry, about Pharisees and uh, I'm sorry, synagogues and rabbis and, you know, all of these different influences have come in and sort of besieged the Hebrew practice of worship. So when Christ comes in and he's practicing the pure worship, the pure word of God, the pure law, people start getting a little bit nervous because it starts to reveal who they are. And it also reveals that they don't really, they're not really operating under the power of God. And so what it's important for you to understand as a believer, what can we as believers draw from this is that a believer truly living the gospel reveals faux or fake authority because they come in the name of the Lord and the power of God. 
And the reason that happens is because the highest authority is God. So if you're coming in his power, people who are wielding fake authority, um, you know, these uh, Sadducees and Pharisees, like these people just did not, were not supposed to be in the temple at all. And so when you have someone come in talking about what the real word of God says, this makes people nervous. And I'm going to be honest, I'd be a little nervous too. If I'm perpetrating a fraud, as they say, then... I'm going to be a little nervous because you might reveal who I am. And so Satan wants you to fear men and small authority here on earth so that you will not exercise the enormous, all-powerful authority of God in heaven. And this is why you must pray, you must supplicate, you must intercede and meditate and study God's word because God wants to use you to do his work in the earth and show himself strong and powerful. And you can't do that afraid. Now, I'm not going to say that there aren't going to be times when you are afraid, but when God is saying, do not fear, he's asking you to take control of emotions. He's asking you to take control of emotions in favor of belief, in favor of faith in him and what he can do, his power. And so if you as a believer would get to doing God's will and being obedient, that power chain reaction will start. When we do what he wants us to do, it starts things to happen, not just in, you know, your family or your job or, you know, your city even. What you do makes a difference sometimes and for some of you out there worldwide. And this is why God says, fear not, I am with you. I want you to look and see what 2 Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 says. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 it says for the eyes of the lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him herein thou hast done foolishly therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars now this verse here was part of a prophecy to a wicked king but within it the prophet himself revealed something about the nature of god god is looking for people who he can show that he is strong and powerful through across the whole earth and i'm telling you from experience in my own life god's power works it changes people it changes situations it changes you and it changes the world and so when we look at that scripture in second chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 we see that it says god's eyes are looking for people he can show himself strong on this is something god is actively doing okay He's looking for someone that he can demonstrate his power through. And as believers, we are set in a very unique position to do that. And I want to note in that verse, it doesn't say he's looking for Christians to show himself strong on behalf of. And I just, I like to make a note in scripture because a lot of times we think, oh, that only applies to us. You know, we're believers. And so, no, if it will show that God is strong, he will show himself strong through a, a, a through a drunk man, if it will show, if, if him acting on behalf of, you know, I don't know, a stripper, (laughs) 
If it will show that God is strong, he will do it because he is looking for whom he may show himself strong on behalf of. And it says of them whose heart is perfect toward him. So maybe not a stripper, guys, but he's looking for someone whose heart is perfect toward him. Someone who um, has a mature heart toward God. God wants to show that he's the strong one. So he'll act in certain situations. He may act on behalf of, you know, say the drunk man, because he knows that's going to empower someone whose heart is perfect toward him. You see, God uses all kinds of things to work. Am I saying that he's promoting the drunk man or no? Remember, God is a God of justice. And if there is a drunk man and there is a sober man and you hit the drunk man on the head, God still doesn't like it because it is not just. I don't care how drunk that man is. He doesn't want you hurting that man. And that's really important to understand if you really understand the justice of God and what he's trying to do. So God doesn't choose fair fights, okay? That's something you have to understand as a believer. And here's a, an, a great sort of a way to understand why God doesn't choose fair fights. It's because he is looking for someone to show himself strong on behalf of. If a man is strong like Samson, it is easy to believe that he could win a fight with one or maybe two men, maybe three. You know, if there's a very strong man, maybe he can fight off three men. Okay, but if God wants to show himself strong, then he has to be the strong man. What good would it be if you had a strong man who was able to fight off three men? People would be like, yes, of course, that was amazing, but he was a strong man. However, if you have a strong man and he fights off an entire army, he cannot get the glory for that. I don't care how strong he is. So it's important to understand why God, if you go throughout scripture, you'll see all of these unfair fights. So if he has, okay, let me give you an example. If you can lift 500 pounds or 500 kilos, you know, he's probably going to want you to carry a million, okay? And if you can leap over a wall on your own merits and your own talent, God will probably want you to leap over a mountain. And the reason that is, is because God does not choose fair fights, you know, and a lot of times the people of the earth, the powerful of the earth, they try to uh, sort of, you know, go for the weak. They try to beat up on the weak, take away the rights and the privileges. They um, are unfair to people that are perceived as weak. God sees that. And there is a reason why he allows sometimes those things to happen because he wants to be able to show himself strong on behalf of the weak, okay? So how can he show that he is the one and only power in the world? He does that through choosing these asymmetrical battles. And that is how he is able to show, oh, you have to say, oh no, God did that because no human could have possibly done that. That little woman could not have picked up that car off of her baby, you know. That man, I know he was pretty strong, but he could not have fought off an entire army. You know, it's that kind of thing that God is doing. And you can go through scripture. Actually, there's more asymmetrical battles in the Bible, I think, probably than any other religious text. I mean, you have Daniel in the lion's den, you have David and Goliath, you have Sarah and Abraham in their old age conceiving a child, you have slaves versus the most powerful empire in the entire world, okay? 
Egypt was the most. It, it, to this day, we can't figure out how they built their pyramids, you know, how they were able to, you know, have such massive amounts. There is no kingdom to this date, including the United States, which really does claim its own exceptionalism. But just if you put them pound for pound right against each other, they still can't match Egypt. There has not been a kingdom that has been able to match what Egypt was able to accomplish. You know, and so you have to think about taking this huge, probably one of the most powerful kingdoms on the face of the planet, and it's taken down by slaves? Like, who, who does that? And that is why you believe in God, because you realize he did it. Look, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. This kind of explains it. The Bible says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. Think about that. God is not going to have anyone that's going to beset him or best him or anything. He's going to have the victory. And so it tells us clearly that the Bible is using foolish things and weak things so that he can get the glory and so if you it's it's a mistake to take small things and small people and poor people and weak people for granted because god is there to show himself strong be careful for the weak things god will use them to bring down the mighty and he showed us that time and time again particularly where wickedness is involved because see god is not interested in just overthrowing righteous kingdoms that are treating their people well that are supporting the poor that are protecting the stranger and the foreigner and seeking justice in all matters and doing what is right and and you know not bribes and no he's he's he god actually likes a strong kingdom if you're doing the right thing he has nothing against you being strong okay God is not against powerful nations. He's not against powerful people or powerful anything just because they are powerful. He is against it when they forsake justice and doing what is right. That's really when you're going to, you know, you're really going to get on God's bad side. I want you to think about it this way. God is God is not on your side. It's whether you're on God's side. You know what I'm saying? This isn't a situation where you know, you can say, well, God is on my side because I did. You know, God is for righteousness. And if you are on the side of righteousness, then, well, you're his friend. He likes you. You guys are going places. But conversely, if you get on the side of unrighteousness and hurting people and doing bad things, well, then God is not on your side. And that is not by who you are. Well, he didn't like you because you you know, you wore this, or he didn't like you because you didn't smile at him. No, God is about righteousness. He's about justice. If you're on his side, then you're doing righteousness and justice. If you're not, then you're not on his side. And that's how it works. You know, God isn't this private, um, he's not this private, you know, God that you can just say, well, this God is going to do what I tell him to do, no matter what it is I do. No, God has values. Look at what it says in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He says, He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That is one of my favorite verses in the entire world, because it sums up 
what God wants you to do. And it sums up the fact that he showed it to us pretty, pretty clearly. (laughs) It's that simple. He's always on the side of the weak. He's always on the side of those that do justice, that live humbly with their God, that love mercy. And so when we look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, I want us to look at that and and notice how he really is on the side of the weak. People who can't fight back, people who um, are not in the majority, people who are ganged up on, people who need help. He is on their side. Why is he on their side? You remember we just read it. He's on their side so that he can show himself strong. So now let's look at what Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 18 says. It says, He does execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow and loves the stranger or the foreigner in giving him food and raiment. So the Bible is telling us right now that he executes judgment for these people because a lot of times people really aren't doing right by these particular groups of people. And in that time, there may be new additions in our societies today, but back in those days, the most vulnerable people were uh, fatherless, widows or women without husbands, um, the stranger or the, the immigrant or the migrant. These are the people that were the most vulnerable. If you can remember when the children of Israel were passing through certain lands, they were most vulnerable because they were trying to get to their land. So they were migrating through and they would ask certain kingdoms, hey, can we Can we walk through? Can we have a little water, a little bread so we can get to our our destination? That is what the Bible is saying. These people are in sort of weaker positions. And so I want to point something out here when we talk about the fatherless. It doesn't say the fatherless whose parents were married or uh, whose parents were not single mothers or something. He says fatherless, no qualifying statements. If you are mistreating those people, it incurs the wrath of God, okay? Because they are vulnerable. Even our social scientist shows that children who are fatherless face greater exposure to child abuse, sexual assault, and other kinds of major problems. So if you think that it is okay to be unkind to the fatherless, to the widows, to the foreigner, if you feel that that is okay, then then God is telling us right now, no, that's not justice, and God will avenge them. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 14, and thou shalt rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, and your manservant and maidservant, and the Levite, the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow that are within your gates. Think about it. God has not forgotten these people. Deuteronomy chapter 24, 19. When you cut down thine harvest in the field and hast for, forgot a sheaf in the field, you shall not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Do you remember Ruth? When she would gather the sheaves, Ruth was a Moabitess. She was not a Hebrew, okay? And she would go and gather sheaves so that she would have food for her and her mother-in-law. And that was a part of the law of God, was to be kind, was to be generous. 
God didn't say make them pay for it or make them work for it. He said, let them have it. And when you do, then God will bless you. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 19. It says, cursed, cursed is he that perverts the judgment of the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say amen. God is looking out for weak people, okay? So much so that he says that if you, if you um, pervert the judgment of the stranger or the immigrant or the foreigner, the fatherless, the, the child that, is the, that doesn't have a father or a mother or something, the widow, then you will be cursed. That's crazy. Look at Psalms 10:14. It says, Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite, to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto you, and art the helper of the fatherless. That is who God is. He's the helper of the fatherless. He's the helper of the poor. And it tells us that he is going to requite anything that is done against these people. For those who hurt them, defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. That's what it says in Psalms chapter eight. I'm sorry, eighty-two and three. That's Psalms eighty-two and three. Um, and we could go on. Psalms one forty-six and nine. The Lord preserves the stranger. He preserves the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked he turns upside down. And so we as believers must learn to do this. It takes time, but we are encouraged at every turn to do it, to be kind to all of those who are weaker than us. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17 says, Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And I want you to understand that in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17, it's telling us that this is what it means to do well. Are you doing well in life as a believer? You're supposed to seek judgment, righteous judgment. You're supposed to relieve the oppressed. Do you see someone who's being treated improperly? They're being mistreated? You're supposed to relieve them. It says judge the fatherless. That means help those people and plead for the widow. See, Here is God's simple edict to us all. We are all stronger than someone, and then we are all weaker than someone, and that's just a fact. For those who are weaker than you, be just to them, be right by them. And for those who are stronger than you, God will be your strength to them. So what does that mean? Because there's someone who is always weaker than us and stronger than us, God wants us to be righteous to the weak and to the strong. Look at James chapter 1 verse 27. It says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. It's pretty simple, folks. It's not a big deal. You know, The authority you have as someone who is stronger than a child, than a baby, than maybe if you're a man, than a woman, that strength is not there for you to oppress them, to make their life worse. 
It's there for you to make it better. If I'm stronger and I see someone, a child, trying to get the top off of a jar, it's my job to help them because I'm stronger. If I see a child that needs to cross the street, then I'm going to help them. If I see someone who needs help, then you, when you are stronger than someone, you're supposed to use that strength to help, to provide justice and equity. And that's what we are missing. It's the real authority of God. And that's why the Sadducees in our anchor text, Luke chapter 20, 20, were so uncomfortable around Christ because he was using his amazing power and authority not to hurt people, oppress people, tell people what to do, make people's life miserable, you know, do things that were unkind, have people living in crazy situations, inhumane situations. No, he made their lives better. He healed the sick. He fed the poor and hungry. He clothed the naked. Exercise the authority of God and heaven in prayer, in evangelism, in teaching, in helping, in all. There's so many ways that you can help. And so in our anchor text in Luke 2020, the religious leaders were challenging the power of heaven, not the power of men. They were challenging the power of heaven with the power of men on earth. And there is no comparison for that. And I want to encourage you as a believer, start exercising the power of heaven on earth in your prayers, in your supplications, in your uh, administering of your gifts, in your kindness, in your whatever it may be, in your power that God has given you. God has given you power so that you may help the weak. Not so that you can oppress them. Not that you can lord it over them. Not so that you can be unfair. God wants you to be just and right. Okay? So I pray that God blesses you. And there are blessings also encapsulated in doing what is right by people. Particularly those who can't help themselves, who are weaker than you. Because I promise you this day, mark my words on this day, you will meet someone stronger than you. And you're going to need someone stronger than them to help you. And if you want that, I want to encourage you to keep doing what's right. Keep doing what's right in the sight of God. God bless you.